0: Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction Death and hatred to mankind, poison in their brainwash minds.
1: welcome back to Fanatsu. We are uh, live here with uh, Hannah, Manny, Senyat Bavakwa, and uh, myself. <laughs> I would like to start off by saying thank you to all our Patreons for. Uh, supporting our quest on this adventure of ours in um, independent media. And uh, just a reminder, for one to $10, that's our hutsa, our tier, which is our Finatsu um, podcast. And then for 15 to, 10 to 15, I'm sorry, 10 to $15, it's our uh, HUGUA tier. And that's a uh, radical readings history. history. I'm sorry, and then for fifteen to twenty dollars is our Tulu tier, which is our radical uh, history.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I just want to say too. I mean, um, really, a to everyone who signed up for Patreon. Um, and it seems like the most people are signing up for the Tulu tier, and I don't know if that's because like not only do you get radical history but radical readings mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what is really drawing people so and that's again as little as um, 15, 15, 15 you know so not bad not bad
3: yeah. well the word has gotten out that you get access to Manny's specialized lingerie <laughs> boudoir photography mm-hmm. so Manny is, is paying for his way through his PhD program through specialized indigenous yes. lingerie boudoir photography. <laughs> How does that look? I don't think it's a thing
2: yet, but it could be. It's going to be a thing. Indigenous boudoir photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
3: so it's got a lot of animal pelts, a lot of <laughs> a lot of cocoa feathers. <laughs> but um. But yeah. So. Only Tulu members, though, gain mm-hmm. access to that special dark web Dropbox.
2: Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, that sounds so shady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All
4: right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a little bit about liberation,
2: right?
4: Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you guys know, yesterday was December 8th, and not only was it Santa Maria Camelin Day, was also the day where Aganya was bombed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit of history, World War Two.
5: Yeah.
4: Um, so, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Who wants well, to go first? Yeah. yeah. It's, there's so many things. It's it's multi-layered. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that we can talk about, but well,
3: so let's we, see where this goes. We can start off with just a, a, a little recap, right? Mm-hmm. So, I guess it's what
4: you
5: guys because.
3: People in a, in a US perspective, right, we think Chris, uh, Thanksgiving ends, then you get ready for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But for tomorrow's and for people on Guam, halfway in between those, right, is Santa Kamelin Day and then the anniversary of Guam getting attacked by the Japanese. And mm-hmm. so we always got to remember that though, because I, I always feel like people are too easy to say, oh, Black Friday's over, got to get ready for Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's like, no you got to get ready to remember Japanese imperialism and American colonialism and all, and then uh, Santamira-Camelin Day, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it is the day that Guam gets bombed and that Guam gets dragged into World War II, the conflict between the U.S. and the Japanese. And um, it, is an inter- it is interesting because it falls on one of the most important religious days for Catholics, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Here in Guam, Santamira-Camelin Day. Santamira-Camelin is sort of like the Wonder Woman of Chamorro Catholicism, right? She's the Gail Godot of sort of a, of, of indigenous adaptation of Catholicism. And so it's, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to think. Have any of you ever been to the procession? I've Whether been, by choice or by force or by accident?
4: So we were just talking about this before, and I've never been to a procession because I wasn't raised Catholic, but I've always heard about it. So, but I've never, mm. never, it's like part in it. So yeah, have you guys, yeah. you guys were raised Catholic, great.
2: Yeah, I was. Um, actually, me and Miguel were sort of talking about this uh, previously. Um, but yesterday was my first time going to, to the procession I in like, time, right? oh. maybe like, no, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe in the past, like six to eight years, it was my first time going. And uh, again, I was there as a reporter, right? I was there for my, for my work. Um, but yeah, just... I don't know. It, it, I don't know. Like, see, I I went to a Catholic school mm-hmm. when I was uh, in elementary, and I remember being forced to go,
5: mm.
2: and you know, everything seemed it seemed a lot more crowded, um, in my memory. It seemed a lot. Um, everything seemed a lot more grand.
5: How about, you know, how as how
2: a child. Was it yesterday. yesterday um, well i mean i wrote an article about how like people catholics think that um, the crowd is actually shrinking and i mean it wasn't as it wasn't as big as i remember it being you know and again that's that's my perception as as like a an eight-year-old child right and then now as a 29 year old um and one who is skeptical of the church and religion in general right so but i mean it was cool because i got to talk to people there about how they felt like if they felt like the crowd was shrinking. And these are people who've been going to the procession um, for the past uh, couple decades, you know? And some of them said yes, some of them said, um, it's the same to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mi- mixed percep- perceptions. Mm-hmm. So what
1: about you, El? Man, I mean, um, I think the last time, just like you, man, I haven't been there in, in a while. I think the last time I was there was probably in 2009, my when I was a freshman at FD. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as a private school, also a private school uh, <laughs> um, uh, student, we had to just we had to go there as part of our uh, duty, right, um, uh, for the school, and then for our theology class to get a credit for that or for some homework there. Um, but I haven't been there recently, so uh, when I last was there, it was quite a lot of people. Um, I remember going there; it wasn't necessarily for the um, Mm-hmm. The idea to pay homage, but you know, kind of go see friends, see uh, you know, no, see all, see <laughs> <the> Academy <laughs> girls. Oh, <laughs> um, you elite. You know, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I mean, I, I remember it being like pretty jam-packed, parking to to kind of be horrendous, and um, there would be people. In the lot right next to Carmen's, we would we would start there, you know, meet there as a as a school. Then across the the courtyard of uh, uh, across Carmen's would be full with students as well. But man, I don't know, was was it kind of like that this this year? Yesterday, did you see no, that?
2: Actually, it really um, I can say objectively that it really wasn't that crowded at all. Um, there was still a lot of parking along the sides of the roads. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh, yeah, it just it didn't seem as grand, you know, mm-hmm. returning to that idea. Right. Um, if this was supposed to be like the galvanizing event, like for our island, for all the Catholics on Guam to to come to this one event every year and to show their their pay their, or to show homage or to pay homage to Santa Maria Conlon. Like it didn't seem that big, really, you know, and I don't know. I don't know what it is. One of the guys I interviewed said it was because it was a Saturday. I so. was going to say that
4: too. Was it a Saturday? Mm-hmm. Has yeah. it gotten hotter over the years? Is that well, that too.
2: <laughs>
3: Yeah, it, it, was, it was actually kind of windy. But. Oh, yeah. so it was nice. They should pray that Santa Maria do something about the heat and yeah. about global warming.
5: Right.
3: Right? So that mm-hmm. maybe when global warming comes for Guam or from some of our neighbor islands, mm-hmm. Santa Maria can stop the water from rising mm-hmm. the way she stops the storms from hitting Guam. In case yeah. you can't tell, I'm not Catholic, <laughs> so uh, not, there's there's interesting cultural things about this to me, but there's no sort of like a uh, sacred, I mean, sacred was, religious dimensions to what it. What
4: was her significance? Because from what I remember in tomorrow class, actually, was that she was found walking in the water, right? And she has like this long hair. Is that her? Like there was a fisherman, and then he saw like the statue and the water.
1: Yeah, and it was and and it was pretty interesting too, because I think it's a fisherman fishing off of. Um, Malesu, between Malasu and Cocos Island and I think what happened was he was trying to he was spearfishing and he like saw the image or saw Santamaran Kumlin deep down and he was like oh let me go you know retrieve her. I don't know if I'm getting this right so he as he dived he she kept getting further and further away and um, what I thought was interesting was that so he goes back up and he goes to his priest to say, Hey, man, I saw Santa Maria in the water, I wanna get her, but every time he know
4: I her name was Santa Maria <laughs> Did he name her? No, no, he <laughs> just made
1: the statue. Anyway, so what happened was uh his priest said, Oh, you have to dress in your Sunday best and retrieve her and ended up he dressed in his Sunday best, he dove down, he was able to
3: get a hold of her. Right? Mm. That's the point. Yeah, and so but in truth if Maybe because so it's not just Sandra Kamala, right? But she's on the Pang Lao Oru. She's on these big giant golden crabs. Mm-hmm. And so maybe oh. the fisherman wanted those crabs. Maybe. It's like, dang, that's gonna that'll impress Definitely. the wife and the tzakma, because there's two crabs, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> and so then so but it's funny then because the the part about you have to dress nicely, right? Yeah, yeah. it's what makes the it. Exactly, right. it's what makes it so that part of it is this metaphor for Chamorro's accepting Catholicism yeah. and becoming civilized and mm-hmm. modernized, right? Mm-hmm. Is that then you can only embrace this spirit, this part of your religiosity, once you decide to accept mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, the culture that comes yeah. along with it, uh, accept that. and so. Yeah, kind of
5: tricky.
3: But so yes, there's lots of stories about where she gets her name from, but, but Camelin refers to uh, a barracks, or like a like a, a shack and it, it also refers to the area in the back of the church mm.
5: uh-huh.
3: and so where they sometimes put statues Interesting. and so there's lots of different stories about where that comes from but mm. the most most commonly it's because she is put into like a barracks mm. and that's in so she becomes you know Saint Mary of the barracks Interesting. and now she now now there's like 3,000 girls named Cameron. As Cameron. a result. There's also
4: a lot of guys named Cameron, too, right? Mm. Cameron. But not
3: from Not from her. Santa Maria Cameron.
5: <laughs>
3: that that's okay. from that's from like 80s 80s like <laughs> high school movies. Cameron.
5: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well.
2: Yeah. It's so one of the things too. I mean like um I I asked people there like, you know, on the day 77 years ago, Guam was bombed during the like while people were in prayer, right? And it didn't seem like a too many people um, actually connected connected the day with um, the historical event that occurred 77 years ago. And that's what I found more important or more interesting, yeah. you know, um, because there's people like uh, Kina Lewis at the National Park Service who are concerned that, um, you know, we have younger generations who will never be able to connect yeah. to stories of, of mm-hmm. suffering during World War Two, you know. and you know, at what point um, is that going to become less relevant to us as mm-hmm. a as a as a people? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I feel like it's sort of the church's duty to to help people remember that, like when they go to these to these mm-hmm. processions. Right. Um, I don't know.
4: Yeah. Well, I actually felt the same way because when I was taking Guam history, it it didn't occur to me that it was on the same day until mm-hmm. I started reading a little bit about. Like when the bomb was dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was even for me, part of the younger generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's what they totally set my mind. So I can imagine how it was for for our younger like people now. Mm-hmm. Like they probably don't realize that it was on the same day.
5: Yeah,
4: because that is kind of like crazy, right? Imagine like they're in the middle of prayer, and then a whole, all of again it just gets bombed. That's kind of mm-hmm. crazy, right? So.
2: But actually, so Miguel, you were saying like Haganya wasn't bombed as heavily as people make it out to be. It was actually like sumai and other like specific
3: strategic areas right so that's why you always not to not to criticize anybody's Tata or Nana, mm-hmm. but sort of sometimes when you know if you're inter- if you're interviewing your Nana and she talks about how they were running in the streets in Hagania on the morning of December eighth, and bombs were falling everywhere, that's not necessarily what happened. People were panicking and they were worried because by the morning of December 8th, Guam had been bombed. Sumai, of course, was the first place to be bombed because it was considered far more strategic. Um, And more so, word had gotten out that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. Mm. And so people were freaking out. And at first, the Naval governor at that time, he had asked people that owned cars like taxi services, to help evacuate Hagatnya. Mm-hmm. But then by the time word reached the community, then everyone was just panicking and fleeing Hagatnya and stuff like that. Um, and so that's the, the there was chaos, but it wasn't like the Japanese... So I always remind students the Japanese didn't invade on the 8th. Mm-hmm. They bombed strategic targets on the 8th. They then bombed more strategic targets on the 9th, and then early in the morning on the 10th is when they actually
4: invaded. Mm-hmm. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. So prior to that the military already knew, right? That Word, yeah. That let's talk about this cuz let's talk about at that time Guam was already under the possession of the US, mm-hmm. right? So how many days was it?
2: I think prior months.
4: it was months prior that the US military
2: knew yeah. that they were coming, right? They started they started evacuating um their their dependents and like civilians, right? Mm-hmm. Civilian contractors months in advance. Of the Japanese attack, uh, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not just uh, what's what's interesting is like, um, it was it was a a howie guy that that wrote American Shame. Mm-hmm. It was a, a a veteran who was actually here during the the mm-hmm. reoccupation. Um, he was talking about how like the United States hasn't lived up to its word; it hasn't given these people um, its uh, liberty as it mm-hmm. promised to, um, and the other promises of of you know. The U.S., American citizenship, whatever, yeah. right? So, I mean, I, I definitely don't think he's uh, supporting like decolonization for sure, but at least sovereignty in the sense that um we uh are on some level of parity with the the other states, right? Yeah. Um, as far as voting rights goes and all the, all that other stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But so yeah, so there's there's this dude, uh, or, um, a veteran, a liberator, as as uh, the media would call him. Um, who's talking about how like uh, the U.S. knew well in advance and they withdrew these people uh, and they left the local population um, not knowing what was actually going to happen. So
4: yeah, so as I remember, um, because just a couple of years ago, I think last year when we had those like bomb threats, I Mm -hmm. guess, right from North Korea, uh, I had like some friends who would um, post on their Facebook and they'd be like, um if we start seeing these military wives (laughs) packing up and leaving Mm -hmm. then we know what's up right then that's a sure sign because that's kind of what happened back then when Mm -hmm. um everybody else was evacuated everyone else meaning all the white people (laughs) Mm -hmm. or all the military people and their dependents but i i don't know you could correct me if i'm wrong um if they were military dependents who were tomorrow they were not allowed to go
2: yeah, yeah. Correct? So that's the thing. So um, when I was writing for um, the Guam Daily Post, I interviewed um, a, a man from um, from Agate. He's a very well-known uh, local musician.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Unfortunately, uh, Senor, I've forgotten your name, um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll know your face when I see it. Um, but um, he he's uh, he's half white, mm-hmm. um, half Chamorro. Um, oh, I think
4: I know what you're talking about.
2: You know what I'm talking about. Okay. But yeah, so he was talking about how like uh, so. Before we're the war, we
3: we're losing <laughs> the game. <laughs> we don't know who they're talking about
2: yet. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so so he's he's half Chamorro, half white. Mm-hmm. His father was uh, was a sailor, and like before the war started, um, his his dad uh, left Guam. You know, mm-hmm. probably because part of the evacuation, right? But him and his family, you know, he had to stay with his mom. Like they all, they um, were forced to stay on Guam and um, like he never, or he didn't see his, he had to go and seek out his dad. His dad never like came back to Guam and like for him, and that's the fucked up part, like on an individual level, right? So the dad basically abandoned them, using the war as an excuse, talking about how like, you know, he wasn't sure if they were still alive, blah, 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 all the shit. Wow. But yeah, so there are these families who, families of sailors and Chamorro women who were just torn apart because of the war, and uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, racism, I'm sure. You know, yeah. like why not evacuate the, the Chamorro wives, you know?
4: Yeah. Or so. the Chamorro people, if you really knew. That. And that too, yeah. <laughs> you want to just evacuate everybody. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So. So. I guess that brings us to talking about the U.S. as our liberators, <laughs> as Guam's liberators, but how could they even be right? Like, so what? Right. Like, their intention was never to even save the Chamorros to begin mm-hmm. with. Because, I mean, if it were, then they would have probably evacuated them too, right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't. So, they didn't, yeah. what's your, what are your opinions on U.S.'s liberators? Or
1: the war? Man, I don't know. I think there's, um, yeah, we had to read the book, Massacre at Atati. It mm-hmm. talks about maybe Guam's first uh, liberators, right? Um, and there were Chamorros who yeah. took it upon themselves to um, you know, fight back and 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 gain uh, mm-hmm. the site, right? Gain,
3: a, oh yeah. Uh, so if you if you have not seen it before, "Massacre at at Atatí," uh, you should definitely pick up a copy of it and read it. Written by the late Jose Mata Torres, and it talks about how a group of Chamorro men in Maleso, how they ended up liberating themselves uh, just as the United States was was invading the island. And so, um, and so it is a, it's, 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 it's an interesting story, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, one of the most important things about all of this discussion, right, is what is the Chamorro place in this story? The war story is big, it's huge, it takes care of, it takes over our, it took over the lives of our ancestors, it, took, it takes over the, the way we understand our history, but what is the Chamorro place in that story, right? Are we the victims of it? That's the way we often think of it, right? We're just the suffering victims that get saved. Mm -hmm. But then when we look at it though, are we just victims or in ways were we taken advantage of? So that's where you get to the beginning of it, right? Where, what is the relationship between Guam and the United States? Well, at that time, the US Navy didn't inform the Chamorros about the dangers. They didn't prepare the Chamorros for the coming war, which they were anticipating for months. Mm So then if you, that's why this time of year is so important, because if you think about it from that perspective, then your, your interpretation of the war has got to change. So all the stuff, all the heroic stuff, all the tragic stuff, it all still happened, right? But what is our relationship to that? Did it all happen to us and around us? Were we engaged in it? And what do we do? What do we do afterwards, right? What lessons can we get from that? So many of our, our elders would tell us the lesson that you could get from that is that you should follow the United States because they'll always take care of us. But that's why understanding that history is so important. Because if you, when, when last year when people were, when North Korea was threatening Guam and, and Trump was tweeting back, <laughs> trying to dunk on Kim Jong-un, then, um, then people were like, oh, America will take care of us, right? But if you look at historically and you think, well, the the relevant example to this is World War II, 1941, right? The fall or of 1941, that's the relevant example. And what happened then? Did the United States take care of Guam then? Guam was ambiguous politically in relationship to the United States, but it was still important. Did the United States take care of Guam then? Did it defend Guam? No, it didn't. And that's the relevant historical example. And so that's why um, thinking about this is important, right? Because it all disappears through the war experience and through the quote-unquote liberation, right? And that's, that's, it's always important to remember that, is that Chamorros who were angry at the United States by the, at the start of the war, they forget about that because they're so happy that they came back and got rid of the Japanese, so I would argue, and it, you know, and I talked, and through my oral history research, I saw lots of it that Chamorros felt abandoned by the United States. They felt disrespected, but by the end of the war, how do you talk about that? Because everyone's just so thankful the Japanese are gone. So do you want to be the everyone is like, hey, I got my American flag, my Nana hid it, you know, in the in the chicken coop in the back, and the Japanese never found it. I'm so glad America's back. Do you want to be the guy who's like? Yeah, but they fucked us over, Prim. You remember that? Shut up, man. Would you rather be under the Japanese? No. <laughs> See, today, if somebody says, "Would you rather be under the Japanese?" you can look at them and say, "Man, you're stupid." You know, I don't know if they have medicine for the type of stupid that you have. But what were you going to say in nineteen forty-four, or forty-five, or forty-six, or forty-seven, if somebody said, "How huh, you? You want crit- to criticize the Americans? You want to be under the Japanese?" Back then, there was still Japanese stragglers hiding in the jungles around Guam, mm-hmm. and there was still Chamorros that were getting their livestock livestock stolen, and some that were getting killed by Japanese mm-hmm. stragglers throughout mm-hmm. the forties. And so that's why this is very important, right? Because what is the place of Guam in relation to the United States at the beginning of the war story, and over the years we've slowly pushed back against all of that lack of critique
5: mm-hmm.
3: that just just celebrated just wave the flag, it's a liberation, it's great. But then after a certain while you have to look and think, are we being taken advantage of in this? Just like we were kind of taken advantage of in 1941, and 1944, is that what's happening again? Well, that's when you have to look at your history and think, let's change the message, you know, let's change the narrative. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I mean,
2: on that note specifically, uh, one of the articles... <clears throat> oh, yeah, so there was a vigil um, with the National Park Service that just happened. Um, and I had a little paragraph there about how, like, historically, uh, the return... Or, yeah, so... Um, you know that wall at, at the Bay Overlook? Mm-hmm. There's 18,000 names there, right? And uh, they also include um, uh, American soldiers who died um, in 1944... When uh, US soldiers, the word I used was reoccupied Guam. Uh, my editor at the PDN uh, went to great lengths to uh, change that specifically to um, 90, uh, soldier, American soldiers who died in 1944 when they liberated Guam. Mm-hmm. So they changed the word reoccupation to liberation. And again, like.
4: Why is that so important? I mean, why is exactly, so yeah. it for that? Exactly, yeah. I mean, because
2: did yeah, did did they not reoccupy the island?
4: Yeah, how's that?
2: Yeah, and so I like
4: re-occupy is clearly more accurate. Is accurate. Mm-hmm. Like, is not
2: Yeah. Way. But even like even if you like remove it from the overt like political sense of what I was trying to do, right? I mean like even at like maybe a <clears throat> like as a matter of definition, you know, like did they not reoccupy the island? like, uh, through military action from the Japanese for um, American advantage. Like, you know, so I don't see why, like, they had to change that specifically. Um, But, I mean, again, uh, when we're talking about changing the narrative, um, at a very literal level, like, mainstream media on Guam is reluctant to do just that. Um, I feel like there's been some headway with, like, the Beyond Liberation series, but, like, there's still these small instances where, like, they just make it so damn impossible, you know? Mm -hmm. That's all I wanted to say. And I'm gonna go, I'm uh, I'm gonna go take care of myself real quick. (laughs) (laughs) be Right back.
4: I think a large part has to do with the whole, like, colonial mentality, (laughs) you know? Like, that kind of thinking is really, like, passed on from to generation, of course, like, from the generation from, Mm -hmm the Chamorros who were there during the war, you know, at the end of the war, um, and just that whole idea that um, the Americans came and saved them from uh, the Spanish, I mean, the Spanish, the freaking Japanese, uh, and moving forward, like, since then, like, America's always been painted out to be um, benevolent and heroic. And like it's really really difficult to kind of change that kind of mentality mm-hmm. as you grow older, especially if you've kind of were raised with that kind of rhetoric, right? Mm-hmm. Like it really takes a whole lot of like research and kind of reading on your own to kind of realize that it's there's definitely a different kind of story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, how did how did you? I, I know. um, For for those of us who've taken you, uh, I know that you sometimes you. Um, assign uh, us to definitely meet up with our Menomku or Mm -hmm. our elders and, you know, ask, inquire, you know, are Mm -hmm. there any stories that they did that they'd like to share with us uh, about um, their time during the war or, you know, just growing up and if there's any favorite stories. Were there any stories that come to mind um, from your students uh, that that they had maybe talk? you know, talking about... um, the uh, Tony okay. mentality and then that kind of like bridging that gap between the elder and the youth
3: and-, and so oh you'll find so many stories like that but you have to dig hard for them and then so we have to think there's, there's a so this is what's fascinating is that the Tony Wompat generation mm-hmm. the Tony Wompat Manuel Guerrero Ricky Bredal is a little bit younger than those guys but that generation as as Robert Underwood says, they used patriotism as like a hammer to get political rights from the United States. So many of them may not have personally believed that Guam was liberated by the United States, but they felt like if we act patriotic, if we show allegiance and loyalty to the United States, they're going to give us stuff that we need and we couldn't get it otherwise because we're just a, a small territory in the Pacific. So that's what that generation, in a way, for many of them, that's what they felt, because... But then what happens, though, then is their children mm-hmm. just accept that we were liberated.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: So the, the the piece that Manny wrote where he was talking <coughs> about liberation and, and, and questioning it, it was written around the statements of a World War II survivor, mm-hmm. uh, George Estoquio, who was the chief of staff. Uh, for Tony Wampat when he was in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he argues that they didn't liberate us in Menengan because the Japanese just disappeared one night and they weren't there anymore. And then we found our way to American patrols and that's how we got found. But so that the U.S., you know, they may have, so he ar- you know, he's trying to argue the U.S. may have liberated the island or reoccupied the island, but it's not like they came into the camps and saved us from the Japanese, but part of the larger fight You know, they pulled the Japanese away. And so it's interesting because then their children are the ones that just accept that it's a liberation Mm -hmm. because they're not the ones that went through World War II, Mm -hmm. a lot of them. They didn't have the personal experiences before World War II. And most importantly, they didn't have the stories of being abandoned or betrayed by the United States. So the example that I always give is a guy, um, Adrian Sanchez, who, uh, who was a senator for a long time and who was a, a, a Chamorro who joined the U.S. Navy before World War II. And he went on to, to actually cook. He was a cook at the White House. He, he was in the Navy for a really long time, and he cooked for a couple different presidents. And so he was super patriotic to the United States in all outward ways. But when he wrote his memoirs, he struggled with his experiences with the United States, mm-hmm. and the big thing that always made him question it until the day he died, he said, was the fact that the United States refused to uh, they refused to evacuate his family because they were Chamorro and he was Chamorro. So, so he was he signed up his life to the U.S. Mil- to the U.S. Navy. But when he brought his family down and when another one of his friends, who was also in the Navy, they both brought their families down because they heard that Navy dependents are getting evacuated. They both brought their families down. And you can imagine the white guys have like a wife and maybe one kid and then the Chamorros are like, hey, I got my I got my 12 people here. I got my this is these are my seven kids. This is my wife. Uh, this is the kid I poke his eye from my, my cousin who can't take care of his own damn kids. This is my grandma, my grandpa, this is my auntie, she doesn't have anything to take care of her. And so you can imagine all of these white officers who are like, Oh, what the hell? Look at these look at these crazy brown folk with their big ass families. But they denied him. They sent them away and said, Nope, only whites are being evacuated. And so, for his generation, it created a problem. Now, in most of his life, he may have just Said We're not going to talk about it, but it was always inside of him. And so he had that experience and many Chamorros of that generation had those experiences. So they kept any real feelings of patriotism in check because they knew what the United States had been to them. But their children just see them waving the flag and think I'm supposed to wave the flag too. Let's wave the flag. We love America. Looks like Tata loves America, so I guess I go to America. And so that's when, but then what we see now though is that we, the next generation doesn't have the war as being in their rear view mirror. It's not, you know, object is definitely further away than it appears by that point, right? <laughs> and so that's when we get people finally asking critical questions. And at first there's resistance, but then now we come to the next generation. And now even elders are sometimes open to those questions because they can look back at history in a very different way. So that's why we have people that Manny interviewed for his articles, where a lot of them are willing to question that idea that they were liberated because now time has passed and they've seen the political status struggle. Mm -hmm. And they can also connect their experiences to other groups in the United States. And it's good Mm -hmm. because. For the longest time, we our place in the story was one of disempowerment.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: But if we look back, we can find a place through which we can empower the local person, right? Yeah. We can empower the people of Guam. And so, yeah, so there's there's lots of stories like that, but they're hidden. They're not the usual ones. That's why I'm so surprised, Manny, at your pieces, because usually those are the ones that they cut out of the PDN or yeah. the Guam Daily Post coverage because they're the, they're the weird ones, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I guess,
2: like, stories that aren't being shared. Um, I just got back, so. <laughs> for those of you who are, you know, paying attention to the framing and whatnot. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it is strange that they've, it's it's weird that they've let me, you know, cover these things from more progressive uh, perspectives. And I, I'm certainly grateful for that, but I definitely think that there's more that, that can be totally be done um and i don't know what what it, what is it going to take like oh, okay so first of all i guess you know jumping on on mcgett's point right um so angel sablon the executive director um has stated publicly that he wants to make this liberation day the biggest liberation day ever you know because it'll be 75 years you know so i don't know it, it, it's so weird um like because even he acknowledged like participation in the events is actually declining. And so you take that and the fact that, like, you know, we're already in, like, in dire financial uh, straits, right? Um, And they want to go out and make the 75th – they want to try to make the 75th the biggest liberation day ever. Um, Does that sort of, like, pull us back from, like – Sort of the, some of the progress that we, we've made in a narrative sense, I guess. Yeah. What do you guys think, man? Um, <laughs> no, I know it. Um, man, I think.
1: I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know about it being in the biggest. I know they want to add two sites, uh, two more additional sites. Um, um, and also, I think one of his concerns was bringing back. Well, Huff, Huffman said he. He's wondering if it's going to be hard to bring mm. back uh, liberators, yeah. right? Uh, quote, unquote, liberators, uh-huh. man. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. Oh, man. Then mesh that with this whole the, the new base is being built and the construction mm. and all that. Oh, man, I don't yeah. even know where to start. It's I think that's
2: going to be. Um, I think they, they've got their work cut out for them. No, sure, definitely. You know, I mean, like, yeah, it's. A, I think. Yeah, he, he was questioning, like, the viability of, you know, flying these people who are now in their 90s, like, flying them back for the liberation celebration festivities. Um, I mean, yeah.
4: I don't really know how to feel about that, because, I mean, they are liberators, but, I mean, if you've even seen pictures from... <clears throat> When they reoccupied Guam, there were, like, some pretty racist kind of uh, on their boards. They were like, oh, you know, like, Guam is the U.S. is now Mm -hmm. and things like that. It was never for the intention to save the Chamorro people again, right? And these 92-year-olds, like, Mm -hmm. they probably had, like, a different kind of way of thinking back then. And it was probably only for the sake of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Like, it was only because they loved their country so much. Like, it was never for the sake of the Chamorros. And so...
2: Why that, and like, you know, Miguel and I were talking about um, some of the stories that you don't hear uh, when it comes to like World War II and the Americans returning is um, like the Chamorros who died at the hands of Americans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like uh, my family has a story uh, where my great grandpa's uh, brother uh, was, was shot by like two Americans on patrol. Uh, Because he was he was up in a tree um, uh, harvesting tuba and he had these like these shin guards or something that that the Japanese uh, would wear at the time. And so these two these two Americans uh, saw him in the tree and they just shot him like, you know, like, I mean, maybe that was their first time out of the continental U.S. They probably never seen a Japanese up until the point that they were fighting them. And they'd probably never seen a Chamorro either until Mm -hmm. they got to the island. But, like, Jesus Christ, like, you can't, you know, we don't all look the same. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: They all look the same to me, though. Right. (laughs) Just joking. But, I mean, if you also put it into kind of their perspective, like, these soldiers then were probably, like, a bunch of 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, you you know, very young. And they went to Guam where they were – like, in, uh, like part of this war, and they probably had no idea what the hell was going on, you know what I mean? Like, again, they were probably just here, mm-hmm. just following orders, and never with the intention to save anybody. Just with yeah. the intention to take a base back.
2: And, and yeah. did you guys, when I was gone, did you guys talk about the fact that, like, the U.S. bombed uh, the island for 13 days? No. As opposed to, yeah, Let's I talk mean... Talk about that. <laughs> tell us more. Yeah. Some some historical uh, insight? Uh, insight. On the issue of the of the bombing, of the bombing. yeah, com- compared to the Japanese strategic uh,
3: bombing. Well, so it's always important to remember that world that war changes during World War II, right? So the funniest thing is that, of course, the whatever the United States condemned the Japanese and the Germans for at the start of the war, they were usually doing it by the end of the war, and one of them is. Not targeted bombing, <laughs> so that uh, so that you know, uh, bombing of c- civilian populations or bombing of highly populated areas was considered to be a war crime at the beginning of the war, which is why the U.S. and other allies condemned the Japanese and the Germans because the Japanese were doing that throughout China mm-hmm. and the Germans were doing it uh across Europe mm-hmm. and it was it was bad, it was considered to be evil, um, a wicked war crime. But the United States, at a certain point, though, because of the Japanese tactics, you know, they changed their strategy and they started to bomb, bomb the hell out of places, because they realized that it would cost too much of, you know, too much of their own troops if they fought a straight up war. So they said, well, let's, you know, let's pound them into oblivion first. And so Guam is bombed. So that's why Guam and Saipan are treated a little bit differently, even though they are both attacked by the United States within a month of each other, is that one of them, a little over a month, because one of them follows the more sort of, the, the logic of the United States for most of the war, and then Guam sort of, Guam, the Guam plan is carried out, you know, with that idea of bombing and softening first. Soften them up um, so the Japanese cannot entrench that they cannot make you bleed so much to, to take the territory back. Mm-hmm. So take away their ability to hide, take away their ability to sort of dig in by flattening the island.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, so, you know, we forget about that. And, you know, we forget about it, of course, because at that moment, Chamorros were grateful that the Japanese were gone. Mm-hmm. So you have to think that for many of those Chamorros, it's OK if I lose my house because we still have our lives. Right? So the, the calculus is we, you know we, we survive, the Japanese are gone and even if the United States does treat us badly, they don't treat us as badly as the United States as, as the Japanese did. So that's sort of that logic that happens there. But that's why nowadays though, because this is what people always forget is <clears throat> how long is a debt supposed to stay in place? How, mm-hmm. how often is a debt supposed to be repaid? How do you repay a debt? And so the way that Chamorros articulated our debt to the United States after the war, they made it sound like it's a debt you could never really pay back. And even if it, it feels it's this profound thing that the United States kicked out the Japanese and Chamorros, and it was an end to the Chamorro suffering, right? You have to think though, when you're looking back as the next generation and the next generation, is it still our debt? Like, how can we move on from that point? Because when you think about it, the Chamorro, in many ways, through, liber- through the celebration of liberation, remains stuck yeah. as the suffering subject of war, the United States as sort of the, mm. the liberator. And so it establishes a relationship between the two. And you have to break out of that. You can't keep reproducing that idea that you know, we're the suffering people and we need the United States to survive. It doesn't help us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help us.
4: So we're kind of going into 47 48 minutes okay. I, so out a bit. Okay, I think like sure. the
3: first
2: five minutes was just the screen right yeah it was <laughs> just
4: us trying to figure out audio
3: yeah <laughs> but i mean but yeah so i i encourage people get into the war stories but not the usual war stories right because there are certain stories that everybody knows about everyone knows Oh, actually, it's funny because if you if you counted everyone who said they were in the cathedral in Hagatnia when Bishop Olano said, "Go, for, run for the hills, guerra, gua Guerra, then the cathedral was probably the size of I don't know whatever stadium they have in Notre Dame in the states, probably like enough room for a hundred thousand people because everyone says that they were in the cathedral at that time to hear that news. But um, but people know about the Tinta and Faja massacres, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But there's so much more to it, and the thing is that if you're looking for, you're looking for the ones that prop up the United States, that's already out there. Mm-hmm. The media makes sure it's covered every year. Uh, the Guam history books highlight those, those stories. But the ones, that, the ones that sort of are more interesting and talk more about the Chamorro experience Those are the ones that are not uh, not often out there, and that's why I'm glad that you brought up massacre at Atati, because it's one of those that really puts the war perspective in a in a different light. You should talk a little bit more about.
1: No, definitely. I think um, you know, reading that book, it really um, it really did kind of, uh, of course, like Maget said, you know, it had us critique, right, what really happened and who were the initial liberators of that time, and. you know, just, you know, to be in the space of at UOG, it in taking history classes, taking, uh, you know, Dr. Babakwa, Dr. Torrey, Dr. Perry, uh, James Viernes, right? So it's taking those classes and kind of given the history, right? Uh, in, a, in being it retold, right? So it's, it's, it's um, we're able to re-digest that, that history in a sense of like being able to critique it, kind of um, understand a little bit better and um, you know, reading reading the oral histories or reading some experiences of the war survivors, um, you know, really it really told me. You know, it spoke to me in a way like that. You know, our people suffered during that time, definitely suffered, and a lot of times it was their resilience, right? Their efforts of moving to their Lansu, of um, you know, making connections. Um, making sure that their bonds between other families were still in place so that uh, that they can have a cow, right? Or they can raise a cow or some chickens. Um, just recently, um, I had the pleasure of uh, listening to um, a relative's uh, account. And he was about 20 years old at the time uh, of the war, during the war, and he was, and a lot of times uh, when I replay the, the uh, recording, the audio, it's, it's, it's just um it's it's very significant in the fact that that it was really the the Chamorros who did a lot for themselves during this time and uh, you know to keep themselves alive um, to make sure that you know prior to the war, um, you know they were able to seek shelter away from uh Japanese forces and you know and use their reciprocity to really make sure that they they remain alive, right so it's 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 very difficult i think um, you know reading into the the histories and kind of relearning it but at the same time it's it's very liberating <laughs> to know the uh you know in your head yeah yeah in my head you know to know the truth and you know to kind of kind of gain foot from that right and kind of like be able to talk more about it and say hey you know what well that happened and yes the media is telling us this is what happened and but well, i don't know if i truly agree right? anymore so
2: Mm-hmm. So, you know, like um, I don't know. Are, are there any questions from from our audience?
4: No questions, but oh. we have some good comments from Jesse. Uh huh. Hey, Jess. Jess, What's up, Jess? <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh. oh, here I I had a comment. I uh, said that we should rename Liberation Day Jesse Tsarbulov Day. <laughs> that we Day. should rename Labor Day Manny Cruz <laughs> Day.
2: Oh man, I'm all I'm all for that, man. Um I I was going to say like just in closing, you know, like we know that um officials want to make the 75th liberation liberation day the biggest event. And I think like, you know, can um going forward, you know, like really driving this agenda home um and, you know, reappropriating that day or and, you know, the whole the 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 festivities that will be going on for the entire summer right um there needs to be some pushback from us like at, at a grander scale like we need to make um our uh counter hegemonic ideas the biggest they've ever been like in response to you know um you know more official um festivities for liberation day so like what do we do do we do we like do we go along with uh, Mr. Eustachio's uh, suggestion of um, like, uh, promoting an inorganic act day? Or what will it be like? We need to sort of come to a consensus about what, what sort of message we want to drive home. You know?
3: Inorganic act day. Yeah. Well, so, do any of you remember, and if you don't, it's OK, because I don't really remember it either, <clears throat> something called Fiesta Nguahan. Mm-hmm. So Fiesta Nguahan was an attempt by Ricky Berdaglio to rename Liberation Day, oh, wow. and so to to rename it so that it wouldn't focus so much on, uh, you know, loyalty to the United States or liberation be or liberation, you know, and stuff like that, but to focus it more on Guam's hospitable and generous atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of you know when the tourism industry is oh. is growing on the verge of exploding and so on. Now this was an attempt, and it, it failed. It failed. It it didn't go anywhere because people couldn't accept the idea of calling it something else. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating, though, is that if we look at Liberation Days today versus the way they were like 40 years ago, they're completely different. Like, I I don't remember Liberation Day 40 years ago. I didn't exist at that point. (laughs) But if we look at what they were before, there was heavy military emphasis and patriotism but if you look at them now they're really mixed right so in essence what Berdalio wanted it happened but the name stayed, the names stayed the same it's fascinating right because oftentimes that's that's how it works with communities is that if you if you want to change the name of it
5: mm-hmm.
3: people say hell no but if you want to change the substance of it, but keep it named the same, people won't notice oftentimes. And so anyways, it's it's a similar sort of thing with like, let's say, um, Felix Camacho wanting to change the name of Guam to Guahan, right? So people largely rejected that. But at the same time, that's that's always it's always already happening. That sort of the cultural movements are already mo- doing that mm-hmm. and people are okay with it as long as you don't directly yeah. touch the name so that's what I've always found so fascinating about Liberation Day is mm-hmm. that I mean we were independent guahan we were at the last Liberation Day parade how was the what percentage of the the, the parade would you say was military
4: we were not there we were all five
3: Oh, oh, oh. But, it,
1: but it was there for the Beneventi um, when we passed out independent stickers yeah. and uh, invited people to the uh, pavilion, main yeah. pavilion. That was an experience. Oh yeah, you were there. Yeah, see and
3: yeah. isn't that fascinating that at a Liberation Day event if you passed out stuff on decolonization people were kind of excited about it or not like maybe like 10-20 years ago where you would have had to like fight with a bunch of people about it mm-hmm. But so that's that's what's very interesting about that right is I mean I was there earlier this year when we had liberation day and the military is a small part I mean everyone stands up and everyone you know salutes and stuff like that and but like there's far more car companies <laughs> village floats insurance companies I mean it's the, the, the civil society, private industries take over the parade largely, um, and so that's what's interesting about it. Um, but I guarantee you that if you wanted to change the name, yeah. people would resist it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the, if you look at what's called the, like the the themes for each Liberation Day, some of sometimes they have nothing to do with the war, or sometimes they have nothing to do with military anything it's just like harmony understanding and forgiveness or like celebrating our local culture like the themes every year are totally disconnected from it but it shows you though how the community has changed right and that's why we can have these discussions and there's no one currently trying to break down the door and shut us up and get us to stop right something to think about. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And we have a really great comment too from Guamtees. They said 75th liberation should be dedicated to the Chamorros that fought and died as opposed to the U.S., which I think is a really great point because, Manny, as you were mentioning, um, the plan was to make the 75th liberation the biggest liberation yet, Mm -hmm. right? And it would be like, it it would be a really big step back if, personally, what I think is it'd be a, a step back if we were to fly in these 92 mm-hmm. year old white men yeah like we, right? we have our
2: own veterans. exactly yeah, we have our own okay.
4: veterans and we have our own survivors and yeah. it should really be a 75th liberation for yeah. them i mean Darn. like to honor them mm-hmm. to honor their resiliency yeah. um and just their their stories mm. rather than the stories of these people who don't care about guam to be honest right yeah that's great so, yeah
2: like Sure, fly over some like ninety-five year old white dude who is who. This is his first time back on Guam since nineteen forty-four, <laughs> so and like, oh, I don't know what this is all about. But hey, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, <laughs> <Just laughs> you yeah. know,
4: if they were to make it the biggest, to make it, um, make it to honor the Chamor people, yeah, not these white people. Absolutely. But I also think another way to do it is just to not have one. <laughs> Where, if you yeah. want to go as radical as that just like protest whole yeah. seventy so fifth liberation
2: be like no 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 that, that wouldn't insane. surprise me actually if they were just like oh we don't have enough money for liberation day oh there's no parade easy yeah, just like because <laughs> they, they didn't have a carnival um, this year
3: right mm-hmm. there was oh, no okay. carnival yes and
4: we also have a comment yeah. from
3: no, they did. some people they didn't oh. have the gambling they didn't have uh, the casino
4: we have a where's
3: the carnival on I thought, I thought I no I thought they said no because we were broke.
4: They were broke
3: oh I don't I'm not sure. I thought they did. I, I just didn't go, but I never go to the, to the carnival. Well, there's one
4: um, question. It sure. says, where does our new governor stand on potentially renaming Liberation Day? <laughs> I mean, we should really ask her to be on our podcast.
2: Well, she, you know, funny thing is, um, Governor-elect uh, Louie Angoro was on our podcast.
3: Oh, yeah, she yeah, was. Yeah, when
2: she was campaigning.
3: So. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you you on the tequentos, yeah.
2: I don't know. I, post, she's post, in a different yeah. capacity now. I don't know if she'd, she'd be down. Like, Lou, if you're out there, yeah, I would love to sit down and chat with you. She'd
3: probably going to be on the pre-association podcast. Oh, shit. Because Adrian was in with Lou, so. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could ask her this
4: question when she was there? You <laughs> could
5: definitely ask.
3: I mean, um, I think that one of the... Some of the suggestions... That people have said I think they're really good like you could probably make it so they honor the, the men of Atati mm-hmm. like the, the I mean Manmata y todo esta they've all passed on now um, and so but you could still honor them they have honored some of them before over the years but you could really make a big thing about it could even put on a play telling their story or something like that Jose Torres wanted to turn his story into a play uh, before he died but, um, but so just to the point of some of the liberators, though, some of them so some of them have expressed uh, critical statements though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there have over the years been a couple who have come back, and during the Commonwealth movement, there was a strong push that every time the liberators would come back, they would the, the vets that would meet with them would tell them, "Can you write a letter for us?" can you can you talk to people in the states on our behalf mm-hmm. and so that's when there's a series of letters that come out from quote unquote liberators who argue that that the united states in a way betrayed us because we thought we were liberating these people but instead you know they just remain a territory of the united states and they can't even mm-hmm. vote for president so over the years there have been a couple and then there are some liberators who get upset if you ask them those questions because mm-hmm. it's like and part of it is because they didn't know any better. And I have had I have heard stories of some of them actually apologizing to Chamorros. There was a couple who apologized and basically said, like, I'm so sorry, we destroyed your island. We didn't know. They never told us that anybody was even living here. Mm-hmm. And so, but it really goes to that point of, is it a liberation if the people that are coming to quote unquote save you don't even know that you exist? Is it a liberation? And if it is, what kind of liberation should it be? Should the people tell say, it is liberation or if, were they just coming to liberate the land so that they could have it for themselves? So that's the thing is that you, you got to ask those questions and then think what is the appropriate way to commemorate this. And, um, but yeah, the 75th, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Bring some liberators in on a canoe a <laughs> Sakman canoe and have them come in to the canoe oh, house oh no <laughs> that would be a disaster Chamorro like, village uh, <laughs> oh
2: man somebody
3: somebody That's says they should bomb bad. the island for another 13 days oh, my gosh. Oh,
4: no. somebody <laughs> just there was a
3: there was one liberation day I don't know if, if you all remember it where they were supposed to be there was supposed to be a flyover by a very expensive bomber and mm. it crashed into the ocean.
2: Oh shit! Are you serious?
3: Wow. Yeah, it was. was. Wow. It, it was supposed to fly over the parade, and then instead, it it crashed into the ocean.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Santa Maria Kammelin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Oh God,
3: I'm
5: you're joking. <laughs> Raman- you're in Princeton.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah.
3: Disavowed. <That's> <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Disavowed.
2: We're gonna cut to a commercial break. Um, this episode is brought to you by Infusion Egg Sandwiches. Um, for every egg sandwich you buy, a uh, dollar is contributed to Finatsu. I'm kidding. I wish. <laughs>
5: yeah. I wish.
4: I wish. Cool. Well, that's about it, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Sizzou Cis- Cis- Thank Plug Cis- the Patreon. Yeah. For those people that are still listening. <laughs> right, wait, before
4: you go, uh, real quick, um, please uh, continue to support us on our Patreon patreon.com fanatsu it's a dollar to ten dollars mm-hmm. um, that's on the hot Um that means you get free <coughs> um, podcasts um, a day in advance and then or <laughs>
2: and you, you you basically help keep us running yeah you keep you us motivated us keep... you keep us here so. yeah
4: so and then we also have the uh, uh that is ten dollars to fifteen dollars um you get access to our radical histories um and then fifteen to twenty dollars on the tulu level that gives you access to radical readings so it's really yeah. great um so you're uh your your contributions go to things like this. So if you see me switching, uh, mm-hmm. wait, am I on the right camera? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't even know. But yeah. so we have like all of these cool stuff um, that we get um, subscriptions to to make our quality, our production um, a lot better, a lot smoother. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and we're
2: actually we're after we. Uh, we cut. We're going to take care of the radical history and radical readings, right? So, and um, those will be live streamed and uploaded to uh, directly to Patreon. And again, that's only available um, to our um, Hugo and Tulu members. So,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Speaking. somebody says that we should give a subscription to somebody as a Christmas gift.
2: Oh, okay. Hey. I'm down for that. Yeah. I mean, that
4: sounds pretty solid.
2: Is... Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe after we, we take care of the, the exclusive stuff we'll we'll think of how to do that. Another right? thing, so oh, and stickers
4: Fanatsu or guahan
2: Stickers, sticker? yes. I
4: mean like that's something we can do. Absolutely. If you are off island, um send us your you could send us oh, your yeah. PO box and we'll if Jack is still stuff. watching.
3: He showed me the mock-up for the sticker today. Oh ooh, earlier wow. today.
2: Nice.
3: New graphics.
4: Yeah, so we do have new um, stickers mm-hmm. for Fanatsu, right? Yeah,
2: for In the, the works. works, yeah. yeah.
4: Fanatsu specific. We have independent guahans. Maybe if you're a Tulu, maybe some shirts,
3: hey, maybe, maybe. Maybe I'm
4: looking at the Who wants a shoe holder? I have
3: one bin with shirts in it, I
2: don't.
4: We have mm-hmm. a whole bin full of shirts. Start subscribing. I, can,
2: I, can I get some of those? Because I'm going back to starving student status in a couple months, so I could definitely use free clothes. <laughs> so,
3: okay. yeah. I don't really? know what size we have. It's a bin, it may be all mediums and smalls or yes. something. <laughs> so when
4: you subscribe, please send us to your size. <laughs> just in case.
3: So just masi Tableau. Thank you everybody. Yeah. Yeah.